Well, good morning. Good to see you all here today. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, but before, so if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, or phone, go ahead. Um, but before we get to that, I, uh, some of you know that when I was in high school, I worked at a restaurant. Some of you were here when I preached and I showed the video of me um, almost blowing up um, as the fire consumed the video. Um, not necessarily representative of my cooking skills, but more in the failure of <laughs> flaming equipment. Um, I started at this restaurant not far from my house where we lived out in Virginia. I started uh, working there when I was 15. I had worked with my dad. My dad had this business where he cleaned. Uh, he was 20 years in the Army, but then he cleaned the bottom of boats in this uh, marina. My job when I worked with him was to hand him tools as I sat on a deck or on a dock, basically, in the hot summer Virginia sun. Hated my job. Hated it. Here's the tool, Dad. And then I sit. And we didn't have smartphones. So I did, like, the best thing I could hope for was eight hours not to get sunburnt, and maybe I would finish half a book because there was just nothing else to do. So when this restaurant came into one of the very same marinas we worked at, I said, I think I want a job. <laughs> I think I want to work somewhere other than handing tools into the water. Because my dad, he would get, put on a wetsuit, get underneath, dive, and do all of that. And so I started off in the dish room. Um, anybody ever worked in a dish room at a restaurant? Yeah, yeah, okay. We all know how terrible that is, right? Um, I learned very quickly that um, you burn yourself as much in the dish room as you do like cooking because... They would just, these pans would just be so hot and they just kind of dump them in water and they go, here, you got to clean this. And you reach in and you, you burn yourself. And thankfully, I eventually worked my way out of the dish room to salad station. Yeah, it was big stuff. Um, knew how to make a Caesar salad, house salad, got to do some desserts. Eventually, I moved my way to the uh, cooking on the line, working in the oven, and eventually I became ticket taker guy which isn't actually the technical phrase for that. Um, but when the orders would come in, I would like call out the orders and everybody else would do them. Um, and then when the summer I graduated, which we won't talk about what year it is because it feels like a long time ago now, um, 98. Uh, I was 18. And I, they asked me to try something new. We had this other piece of the restaurant that was not very fancy. It was just burgers and steamed shrimp and all of this sort of stuff. The inside was the fancy part. The outside was not. Because the idea was that these fancy rich people would show up in their boats. They would dock their boats. They would come get a quick bite to eat, a drink at the bar, whatever. And then they would get back on their boats and go elsewhere. And they said, hey, we want to teach you how to run this other kitchen. And I went, Okay. And so for that summer, I followed and learned from one of the chefs that worked there how to do that. And so because I followed him and I watched him, I learned how to interact with the wait staff the same way he did. I learned how to cook a burger the same way he did. I learned how to steam shrimp and fry shrimp the same way he did. I learned how to get really mad at a blue crab when they pinch you and you're not paying attention and say words the same way he did. <laughs> but by the end of that summer, I knew how to run that kitchen. 
And then the next summer, when I got back after college, he said, okay, you learned it, it's your turn. And so I did it. But I did it the way I followed his lead. And he didn't give me a big rousing speech. He just said, it's your turn. And in a lot of ways, the passage we're going to look at today is Jesus looking at the disciples and he's saying, it's your turn. It's your turn. So we're going to be in Matthew 28, uh, what, what we often know as the Great Commission. It's in verse 16 and following. The verses will be on the screen. We're just going to go a couple verses at a time. Um, if you have a, a Bible, please feel free to turn there or a phone. Um, but a little context before we dive into this. Because this is, um, spoiler alert, right before Jesus goes back into heaven. But there's also a piece, just as we just think about the context of this, that I don't want us to miss. It's that Jesus is resurrected at this point. You know, earlier Josh said something about um, that a human died for us, that Jesus died for us. And we often... I'm going to do exactly what he said I do. <laughs> I often, um, I, for, I forget that at times. And in this account that we're about to read, Jesus has been alive for 40 days after having been dead for three. And he's interacted with people. He's been seen by people. And now he's looking at his disciples going, I think it's time for me to go. So let's have one last quick chat. And so in verse 16, he says this, or it says this, it says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So we know that there's 11 disciples because we remember maybe, hopefully, what happened with Judas. Judas uh, who betrayed Jesus took, takes his own life in the midst of that story. And so there's only 11 disciples. Jesus says, hey, fellas, let's maybe leave this Jerusalem space. Let's get maybe out to the country. Let's go up on a mountain and let's have a talk. And so they go to this mountain where they, where they are uh, to meet in Galilee. And there's this interesting line there in verse 17 that I know I've read this passage before, but this week was the first time that I really... I think, actually paid attention to this. Where the disciples, it says in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Maybe because I'm so used to just jumping to the next couple verses, the, the actual Great Commission part, I've missed that other times when I've read it. Some worshiped and some doubted. Now, Jesus being dead and then back alive, clearly worthy of worship. The doubt piece caught me off, off guard a little bit. We remember Thomas wasn't sure if it was Jesus, right? And put your fingers in my hands and in my side and all of that, right? But it, it says here that others had doubted. And in that process, I just kind of started going, what? How is that possible? And so I did some reading and most scholars don't think that they doubted that this was Jesus. What they think was that they're just still trying to process what it is that they're seeing, right? If someone had died and then come back to life, 
it might take you a few interactions with him to sort of soak that in, right? Like if someone who has passed away was standing right here in front of me, it might take me more than one time interacting with that person to go, you're actually back to life, right? So when I think about this idea, I think it will come back around to it, but I don't want us to miss that, that the disciples didn't have it all figured out. And we, as followers of Jesus, are not called to have it all figured out. That's okay. Because these guys are about to be left with the mission of the church from Jesus himself, and they don't have it all figured out. So then in verse 17, uh, 18, 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in, on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is, if they had any doubts, Jesus is finally confirming exactly who he is. He is the son of God who has been resurrected from the dead. The guy that they hung out with for three or three and a half years is saying, all authority in all of heaven and on earth is mine. Now, they probably suspected that, right? I mean, we've seen uh, the stories of him bringing people back to life. We've seen the stories of him feeding 5,000. We've seen the healings and the casting out of demons. They probably suspected that. They saw him walk on water. But Jesus confirms this. He says, all authority has been given to me. It was said in a little bit different way in Colossians, the first verse, or chapter one, excuse me, verses 15 through 18, where it's said like this. It says, the son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have the supremacy. Jesus has all authority. And Jesus is not only our authority, but Jesus is also our example to follow. So we have the Son of God who has all authority, all power, all of these things, and he's telling the disciples this, But he's not just the one who has authority. He's also our example. I hesitate saying similarly, but to the chef that I worked under, because the chef that I worked under was not much like Jesus at all. If you've ever worked in a kitchen, (laughs) you know kitchen life. Um, However, he had all authority in my situation. He was teaching me everything. I was learning from him. And so Jesus is not only all-powerful, all of those things, but he's also the example when it comes to this idea of discipleship. Because this is what he did with his disciples. He taught them. He taught them over the three and the three and a half years. And so as he's laying out their mission right now, he's reminding them, I have all, of the, all authority. It's been given to me. And then in verse 19, he says, 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. There's a trick that they taught us in Bible college that when you see the word therefore, you're supposed to go to the verse before it because that's what it points us back to, saying because Jesus says he has all the authority, he now says for us to go, to go and make disciples. This is what the disciples have been being trained for this whole time, is to go. Now, if you're like me, when I grew up in the, as I was growing up in the church, when I read this passage, I thought it meant I needed to jump on a sailboat, a plane. Um, I guess no trains go over the ocean. So we're just going to go sailboats or trains and go over an ocean either direction and go make disciples somewhere else. That's how I've always approached this. This is um, oftentimes um, a passage when we think about missions, which I think it, it is that as well. But in the context that we're thinking about it, Jesus says to go, and we as a staff have been reading this book from a, a ministry called Real Life Ministries, and one of the things that they say in this book is that this is probably better translated as as you go as you go to the grocery store, as you go to your friend's house, as you go to work, as you go in the midst of a pandemic, as you go to see your mom or dad, as you go to take the trash out, as you go. And I think we can see how that changes this just a little bit. Because for me, it was really easy to go because I look at what he says next. He says, um, make disciples of all nations. So I very quickly go, well, I wasn't called to missions work, so I'm sorry. I don't have to do that. And if you're like me, you went, here's some money to the missionaries. You guys are meant to do that. I'm not. But then as I look at this passage and in light of like a, maybe a more accurate translation, he's saying that to those who are gifted to go to other countries. And he's saying it to me in Troy, Ohio, that as I go to my neighbors, as I go across the street, that I am to make disciples. And he says of all nations, so that no one's left out. Everyone, Lord willing, everyone would know Jesus and that we would want everyone to know Jesus. That Jesus has done something in our lives that we cannot hide that we need to tell other people about and so he says to go and make disciples and then he says in baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and of the holy spirit and we got to see that uh, the decision right earlier in the service of the, the video of Someone giving their life to Jesus, and that's awesome. But I, I got to say this, that it doesn't stop at just getting baptized. I firmly believe that we are called, if we want to be a disciple of Jesus, to, to confess our sins, to repent, to believe, to turn our life over to Jesus and to be baptized. I believe that with all of my heart, but it does not stop once we come back up out of the waters. It's a continuing thing 
as we go. And if I'm honest, there's been, as I grew up, like that was, I would have told you that to make a disciple meant to just have someone be baptized. And when I look and see what Jesus is saying here, I think it's more than that. That's the first step, and then we keep going. If you've been baptized, you, you, I think you understand this, even if it's just subconsciously. Because when we came out of the water, it was good, right? And then you woke up the next morning, and you went, Satan's still here. Life's still tough. I still need God. I still need to learn. I still need to grow. I still need to become more like Jesus, which is what discipleship is all about, is growing and learning and becoming and putting those things into action so that we become more like Jesus. All followers of Jesus are called to make disciples. All of us. We're all called to make disciples. Not just the disciples here, the 11 um, not just those of us who find ourselves employed at a church. All of us, that is our mission. And that is why as a church, that is our mission, to make disciples who are making disciples. And Jesus continues. And he says, after he says to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he then goes on, and this is what we mean by it doesn't stop, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You know, last week, uh, Chris was in uh, Deuteronomy 6, which is this, this passage where it's talking about how parents should impress upon their children the laws of God. And it has this very as-you-go sort of feel to it, because it says, like, as you are getting up and as you are lying down, as you are walking and as you're going to and from places, impress these things upon your children. Write them on your doorways, bind them to your hands and to your heads. And that doesn't mean that we would take Sharpies and write that across our forehead, though for some of us that might be helpful in us remembering it, but they would actually have little scrolls of the scripture that they would write and they would tie to their heads to help them remember these things. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying, guys, baptize them, but then teach them. All authority has been given to me, and I'm asking you guys to baptize them and now teach them everything that I have commanded you so that we can make disciples. There's this moment where I think the disciples, I don't know if they got it right away, maybe it was a couple months later, where they just went, oh, it's our turn now. Because after this, Jesus ascends into heaven. Um, you can read about that in Acts 1. And it's just, I, I, I find it humorous, uh, maybe because I just have a weird sense of humor, but um, the disciples are standing there. Jesus has, gives his like final orders, and then he just starts to ascend into heaven, and the disciples are just kind of like looking at him. And I think they just keep like looking at him. And he, you know, you ever watch a balloon just disappear into whatever atmosphere that happens? I think that kind of happens to them. And then like these two angels show up and they're like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, well, I mean, 
man, man just went up into heaven. I guess we're just kind of watching that. And it, but they get this sense of like, it's time to get to work. Like he just gave you your marching orders. Like, yes, he's gone, but you'll see him again. Now it's time to get to work. And I think that's where we're at. I think for us, I think we, it's time to get to work because we have all been called to make disciples. Um, that's, that's why we, we talk about that as the, the mission of our church is that we would be uh, making disciples who make disciples. The very last line, and we can't leave this out, um, Jesus says this, and he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This beautiful promise, and this beautiful promise is not just, um, I mean, it's helpful when we think about discipleship that, you know, us as humans, we're messy. This isn't always an easy sort of thing, right? But he says, I'm always with you. So he's going to be, he's going to help us in those moments, no doubt. But as I was reading this, I just went, this isn't only purely about discipleship and growing people. This is because we have a Savior who loves us, who says, I am never leaving you. And I don't know about you guys, but I mean, life has been heavy. Every day, I feel like up becomes down and then the next day it flips again. And it's just heavy. And so I wanted, as we close our time together, I just wanted to sort of let us rest in this promise that Jesus has not, is not leaving us alone. He's, Jesus will always be with us, and we aren't alone. And to do that, I just, want to, I just want to take some time so that we can pray together. Okay, I'll just say some things. I'll give, I'll give you some space and some silence for you to be able to pray, um, and then I will just, we'll just kind of do that a couple times, and then I will um, wrap us up. But I just want us to be able to rest in this promise that Jesus says, I am with you always. So, would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you um, for sending Jesus to this earth to not only model all of this for us, um, but to love us. And God, you have blessed all of us in ways um, that maybe sometimes we forget, um, or sometimes in too many ways for us to even count. God, right now, we want to just take a few moments and thank you for the things that you have done in our lives, the blessings that you've given us this week. God, you're so good to us. You're just so good. We can't say thank you enough. Um, God, would you forgive us when we don't say it enough? When we get 
lost in the craziness of this life and we uh, take our eyes off you. God, we know that you, you are just amazing and that you are powerful and that you are strong. And God, right now, um, you know, some of us are just hurting. Some of us have anxiety. Some of us have fears. Some of us have depressions. Some of us just don't know which way is up right now. Um, God, we know that you can take that. You can work with that. You can do things with that. You can take it from us. Um, but God, right now, we just want to lay those things at your feet. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for Jesus, for his life, his example, his obedience, his sacrifice, and thank you for bringing him back to life. God, we love you. And we pray all of these things in your son's powerful and holy name. Amen. So today, as we think about this passage, I kind of feel like there might just be two places that we're at. For some of us, we have never made the decision to turn our lives over and let Jesus be the authority of our lives. Um, and maybe that's something that you need to do today. I think for a lot of us that maybe we need to also turn over the authority of our lives when it comes to leaning in and making disciples of the, helping people with that process around us. Uh, maybe that's what the surrendering is that we need to do today. I'm not sure where you're at and which one fits you best, but uh, myself and the staff will be outside in the parking lot afterwards, and we'd just love to talk to you about those things. So right now we're going to stand together and we're going to worship. <laughs> 